It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. What would you do on a dare? Perform brain surgery or perform stand-up comedy? Well, let's find out which one my guest chose. He's Michael Somerville, performing at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club at the MGM, February 5th through the 8th and also the 10th. For ticket information, go to bradgarrettcomedy.com for everything about Michael Somerville. Go to michaelsomerville.com and follow him on Facebook, X, Instagram, and YouTube. And Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Very nice to be here. Although I still, it's nice. I'm still like technically at home. I'm not even in Vegas yet. Yeah, no, you'll get there. You'll get there. So uh, I guess you didn't choose brain surgery. I did not. That was, uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, yeah, there wasn't an option, to be honest. I'm flattered that you think those were my two roads, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Early on in school, we realized that wasn't a choice. <laughs> and there was no in between. You just decided, you know what? Okay, listen. I'm going to go up and I'm going to try stand-up comedy. And it was an actual dare, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I was um, Well, the first time I ever tried it was in college. And we had a professional come into campus to perform. And they wanted a student to open. And I, all my friends just, it was basically a dare. So you, you, you're funny. You should get up there. And I did. And it was, it was, I think I did five minutes about cafeteria food and living in a dorm and, uh, and they, and they laughed though. And I remember early on going, Oh, I like that feeling that this is better than science class. So yes, it is. (laughs) And your endorphins were popping and you got immediate gratification, which you can't get from studying science. So. Well, that is for darge. That's exactly right. Yeah, no, and that's, but I still, I I got out of college. I moved to New York. I got a real job in an advertising agency. I was like trying to, okay, let's do the, that was fun, but now corporate life. And I didn't like getting up in the morning every day. I didn't like shaving. (laughs) Um, And so I said, well, what can I do where I can sleep till noon? And it turned out stand-up comedy. Yeah. So (laughs) what you decided to do initially was to do the adult thing, get a job at the advertising agency. And then you decided, you know what? I don't like this adult thing. I'm going to go back to being funny. A hundred percent. And, you know, my parents were paying off my education at the time. And so I was very careful because they, they, my dad went, was straight and narrow, went to school, work hard, get a corporate job, get your gold watch at 25 years, all that. And so to me, that was what you did in life. That's all I saw growing up. But when I moved to New York City out of college, I saw that you could do so many different things. I mean, there was people, you name it. I mean, you could do, I I mean, I was amazed. You go to the garment district, there's people making clothes and starting their own companies and doing, I mean, it's just insane. And I realized, wow, maybe I'll check out an open mic night. And I did that. um, And I liked it. And it was fun. And sure enough, I said, well, the real turning point, we were at an ad agency and Andy Richter, the sidekick for Conan O'Brien, if you remember, um, he was the voice of our toothbrush in this ad campaign. And (laughs) yes, it was for Reach Toothbrushes. And I was working so hard, this is back in the 90s, for $18,000 a year. That was my salary. And he came in and read one sentence as the voice of this toothbrush and made more money than I made all months. And I said, well, I can be a toothbrush that I'm on the wrong side of this business. And exactly. I, exactly. I started taking the comedy more seriously. Wait, I want to go back for a second. Did you say 18 as in one eight, $18,000 a year in $18,000 gross in New York city in 1994? Yeah. So did you live in your car? 
How do you, <laughs> you can afford it even then? Come on. Well, that was kind of it. I lived, my parents were in Jersey. So that when I first started, I lived there. I would take the bus home every night. And then I got very, very friendly with anyone else who had a job and then an apartment <laughs> in New York. And, hey, we haven't hung out. You know, let's. Uh, <laughs> but the trickiest part with my last bus home was 9 p.m. at night. So if we would go out after work, which you did in your young 20s, you go out for some drinks. I had to like look at the clock and either say, do I think anyone's going to let me crash on their couch or do I have to sprint now for this 9 p.m. bus? Because otherwise I'm sleeping in my office. Well, it seems to me that you you were ahead of the times. You were probably the original couch surfer. Yeah, yeah, I think I probably right. I mean, yeah, I really, I really was. I would COVID would have been perfect for me if I could have worked from home. I suppose that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and that was, and even if I was in a relationship or dating somebody, that was always a tricky thing because he's like, "Well, am I, uh, you know, staying over tonight? Because if not, you need to tell me by seven thirty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bus to catch. <laughs> I'm still in shock about that eighteen grand a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and no wonder you decided to brave it and just, you know what, I could do better than this. Well, that's a good point, too. Although I will say the stability of that paycheck, even though it was very small, was the biggest, scariest thing about quitting my job, you know, just not knowing where your next nickel is coming from. And really, that's still the case to this day. I mean, you you get a nice job or a good paying job and it feels great. But the next day you're, you know, you're unemployed again, technically. Right. And it's a, yeah, it's a a crazy way to live, but I'm doing it long enough now that it's, it's still scary, but doesn't, it feels natural. And also you're avoiding, at least at this point, you're avoiding minimum wage. You either yeah. really, you really get a, you either get a really good wage or you get nothing. That that is true. You don't have a job, so yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, it is, and it is very all or nothing. I've had years where I'll look back, I'll do my taxes, which I'm just literally was doing before I I started just calling. It'll you just see these years of, and you're just like my tax guy will go, is that. <laughs> Are you lying? Are you hiding something? No, that was just a bad year. Yeah, you know, that's, that, you know that's comedy. What are you going to do? Yes, I'll testify under oath. That's comedy. Absolutely. <laughs> so, do you find it uh, challenging? I don't know if that's the word because you've been doing it a while and you're a pro. But do you find it? Um, well, I'll use the word challenging. Do you find it challenging to be on the road a lot because of all the things that go on on the road? You, you're never in the same town. You're never in the same bed. Uh, yeah, or it's the outside couch. You know. Yeah, exactly. I, well, I mean, some of the places I lived starting out, you had to have a hotel room. I was like, oh, this is great. Right. <laughs> I have a bathroom right there. That's all mine. This right. is fabulous. Uh, I love that part of it when I first started. I love traveling. I love going to new places. It was part of my most, it was my most, uh, the most fun I think I had was going to a random market that I'd never been and just pretending I lived there for the weekend. You get in on a Thursday or Friday and you go to the mall, you go to their restaurants and you see how the people live and uh, I, sometimes I just drive around neighborhoods and just kind of just get a feel for, I, I just thought it was so fun to see new places, but yes, over the years, yeah. the flying and the, the hotels, it starts to get a little wearisome. Um, and then I also, uh, recently I got married and had, uh, my first baby. So that has been a whole different set of things. So now when I go on the road, I have to, I almost have to convince my wife that it's like, it's worth it. And it's going <laughs> to Secretly, I'm still going to sleep in a little, but I tell her it's important. It's developmental. It's good networking. So <laughs> exactly. And she says to you, take the baby with you. I need some rest. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, we're both trying to do, we love this baby to death. But my goodness, it's yeah. <laughs> so based on what you said so far, the way I understand it, it's in the marriage and with the kid, there's one adult in the relationship and one non-adult in the relationship. 
<laughs> that is exactly and right. And the non-adult is the one that's hitting the road, telling the adult, listen, I got to go here. It's networking. It's fun. It's no, no, not fun, dear. Uh, it's networking. It's business. Yeah, it's, to do it. Don't ever say fun. Don't yeah, ever no, say yeah. fun. Even if it, no, I went from having no bosses to two. And I tell you, it's, uh, <laughs> it's been, it's been quite a change later in life, I bet. but and it, what's great is that you've not to, you've not yet developed your maturity, but you've got these two bosses now. That, that, that's exactly right. And I'm still hiding things the way I would hide from back in my twenties, you know, from a boss, like trying oh. to sneak something in. Or oh, it's been it's funny. been interesting. Now I lived I lived many years as a single stand-up comic traveling the world, did 300 shows a day, uh, 300 shows a year, a lot of them on the road. So it's I mean it's part of who I am, and I think the pandemic was the first time that. I, I really saw that about myself because also we weren't traveling and that was a stark like wake up call to, I mean, I don't know who I am if I'm not on the road writing jokes. And, but now thankfully, you know, as I'm, I'm starting to develop and, and learn a little more like, okay, sometimes you have to change in life. You can't just be the same person forever. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, that occasionally your past revisit to you. So occasionally when you have a fight with your wife, you say, uh, listen, are we going to resolve this by seven 30? Cause I got to find a place to, <laughs> Is that true? Or what? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or I have a show to go to down the street, so I don't want to leave angry. Right. I, <laughs> well, you, I, I have... tell you, you just you scared me when you said your past revisits you because I had a million thoughts going through my head. <laughs> oh, what's what's coming back to see me? Oh no. <laughs> and then I have the rumor that I just started that when you leave to go on the road, you have this pickup truck with a couch on the back. <laughs> so you can surf your own couch wherever you go. What do you think about that? <laughs> That's the only way I'm most comfortable. That's what I'm most used to, right? A, I can't sleep in a bed. This is unnatural. <laughs> well, it's so funny because you've been seen by millions of people, and we can. Talk, I want to talk a little bit about your career as well. But I'm just thinking, at home, I'm sure you're not a hero. Oh gosh, no! And no. I, I don't understand it. I keep saying, like, I would, I would love to live with a comedian. How, <laughs> I mean, how entertaining would that be to just constantly be? And in fact, the other day she just said, "Are you literally just going to always make jokes?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah I think so." And, yeah. and by the way, I'm not one of those comics. Some comics you meet, they're always on. They're always trying to slip in a punchline, you know. And that's right. not me. I feel like I'm a natural, just personal, normal person who can have a conversation. But I think to be living with someone who is, I think, somewhat entertaining would be a hoot. But she doesn't agree. <laughs> All right, I'll have to talk to her later. Okay, thank yeah, I, you. I, I agree with you on that one. I mean, yeah. <laughs> It's so funny. Yeah. I must be getting older because you look like you could still be in college drinking beers with the guys. <laughs> well, I, I, I would I would love that right now. Actually, yeah. that sounds amazing. <laughs> or it could be the camera filter. Who knows? But you, you just look you look like you could be a great college guy. You well, know, just having fun with. It. Well, thank you. I th and that's one of her complaints is that I don't seem to have grown up in her eyes. I think I'm still <laughs> 22. And she said, you know, you're not Peter Pan. And I said, ah, you know, sometimes I'll say, I'll, I'll, you know, refer to like the kids and everything. They're, they're older than you. They're not, you know, I'm like, oh, we're all kids still. We're having fun. But yeah, I don't know. Hey, I think that's good, right? That's a yeah. good way to be. Here's what you share with her. And I, I've occasionally shared this on, on the show. And I cannot attribute it at the moment. I think it was Art Gibbler that said, he says, you're only young once, but with humor, you can be immature forever. I love that. I so love share that. that with your wife. See if that works for you. For you, you know, I understand But that, I mean, I, that that's a great quote. I love it. Yeah. I'm not sure if pitching my wife on me being immature is a big sell, but I like the quote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to buy me any more points. <laughs> okay. So you, you leave the you leave the New York advertising industry. You're on the road with the couch or without the couch, but you're in the <laughs> you like it at first because obviously 
it's fun. You get to explore different areas. I've not had one comedian on the show that has ever said, I like the road because when I'm in a new town, I like to explore it, go to the library, check the university out, go to the bookstores. I've never <laughs> had one comic tell me that. It's always, we're bored. We sit in our hotel room until showtime and then we go out and we do it. And I go, all right. That's not how I, I like to do it, but. No, and I think, and that's not not all comics. I know, I mean, certainly some comics, you sit there all day in your hotel room and, and then you'll go. But no, I think I, I make an effort always to go see whatever there is to see in the town. If it's the largest ball of yarn in Iowa, whatever. Yeah, I mean, you whatever. learn things, absolutely. Yeah, it's exactly. And, and it makes it, I mean, make, first of all, it's something to do, because otherwise you're right. You get to the end of the day and you've done nothing but sit in their hotel room. Um, and it also gives you something to draw on on stage. People like when they right. you get on stage and they heard that you went and saw some things in their area. Their People are proud of where they're from. And um, sure. and then also life, right? It's like reading a book. All of a sudden you have references. And I yeah, no, no I, I'm not always good about it. But when I when I would first start out, my mom used to uh, call or email me because she was she's a love traveling and she thought what I was doing was cool. She didn't necessarily want to travel to Oklahoma like I was, but she loved the idea that I was out doing stuff. And she would just look up whatever was in a hundred miles of where I was. No, that's and great. It was almost, yeah, and then it's almost like a homework assignment because your mom's telling yeah. you to do it. You're like, oh, do I have to drive 80 miles to see this thing? Just to, you know, just to be able to tell my mom that I did it. You know? <laughs> and then she made you feel guilty by saying, you know, you always had a home here. We always had a bed for you to come into from New York. So the least you could do is visit that arcane, that arcade that's in 100 miles from where you're performing because it's been there since 1822 or something. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's the first ever this or the whatever. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's funny. It's when you were performing, when did you know you you hit it in the sense of not total success, but that you knew that you could make, as you said, a, a living that was much better than an advertising agency? When did you know? What was that moment when you said, okay, I can do this. Yeah, it'll be scary. I got to deal with my accountant year after year and tell them why one year is weirder than the other. But yeah. what was that moment in time for you? Or was there one moment? You know, it could have been. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure there's ever a moment that you are. You say I, I've quote made it you know, because everyone has different definitions of making it, and you know it's uh, to, to me it was a sitcom or a you know a late night talk show. That's really what I wanted to do when I started, and then you get to a point where you realize you are making a living in the business, right. and. I would say to answer your question, it wasn't a moment. It was more other people telling me. I'd be at a wedding and people go, wow, so you're just making your living flying around telling jokes. And I would kind of have the realization like, yeah, actually, that's kind of cool. And this one time I got upgraded to first class on a flight because it was flown a million miles. And uh, the guy next to me was a very uptight businessman in a suit. And you could tell he was annoyed because I was in my morning sweats. I was probably half away, you know, the whole thing, just stumbling into this first class seat. And he could tell he didn't like that I was there. And we got to chat in the mid-flight, and he was exasperated that I was going to the same place he was to, to tell jokes, and he was going. And, I, and though it was moments like that that made me think, you know what, this is this is pretty cool. Um, but then I will say, that if I, there was any one moment that I thought I've arrived, it was the first time I was on Letterman because um, yeah, I watched David Letterman growing up my whole life. My two older brothers, so since I remember, they've been on the television, you know, watching him on TV. And when I was on Letterman telling jokes on that Ed Sullivan Theater stage, and uh, I could hear, I told my first joke, got a good laugh. I told my second joke. And from behind me, I could hear David Letterman laughing at the joke. And that was, I said, all right, well, if I do nothing else in this business, oh, yeah. that, that was that worth sealed it. it. Of course. And I know you did a series of Wingman in uh, 2009, yeah. 2010. And yeah. uh, that was an interesting one because you were helping people find dates and connections. And you were adding a lot of humor and comedy 
to the situation, even though it's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the hope to take a very hard topic and a difficult thing in life and make it a fun show. Yeah, I do a lot of relationship humor in my act. And um, the one of the rare things I think I do is I talk about men and women sort of even handedly. I don't I don't slam anyone too hard. And in fact, The New York Times one time had a review that said after shows, uh, women want to date him and guys want to buy him a beer. And I said, right. well, that's that's a the nicest compliment. Yeah. And so as a result, I started getting uh, opportunities. I was Glamour Magazine's dating columnist, Jake, for a couple of years. And then from that, I got this TV show, Wingman. And that is exactly what we did. We took real life singles and really, I mean, it was, it was a reality show. So some of it was tweaked, but we really tried hard to make it as authentic as good. We really had single people. We really went to real bars and really, you know, or whatever they, not just bars, whatever we thought they needed to, to be part of, to help their, their situation. Each one of them had a flaw They you know, this one was divorced and didn't know how to get back in the scene. Uh, another one was too self-conscious and didn't put herself out there. And yeah, we spent, we spent each episode trying to, to find love and happy to say out of 13 episodes, two of the, the relationships um, went for a long, long time. I don't think they let made to marriage, but two actually lasted. And then there was that one episode you did with a guy in a coma that he found it hard to date. <laughs> so, you know, that didn't work out, but okay. All right. You can't. I mean, there's only so many people you can help. You. I know. I think exactly. he had bigger issues at hand. No, he's joking. There was no, there was no coma episode. No, no, there was no um, coma. The, yeah. uh, the, what you quoted the New York Times review, I don't think you realize how important that comment was. It's a paraphrase of what they said about Cary Grant, where a guy, where women wanted to, date him uh, i'm cleaning it up a little bit i believe but that uh, women wanted to date him and guys wanted to buy him a beer because he had just that oh, universal likeness so i what, did yeah, not well, know that yeah check it out i'm sure you can find the quote somewhere online and if i can't i'll send it to you if i can find it oh i appreciate yeah. that yeah that's no that's kind of nice to know wow the yeah. modern day cary grant I've, I've never been yeah. called that <laughs> now this is not to say that you look like cary grant i'm just yeah, I mean, you, are, you don't you don't have to you can, we can just leave it alone. We can okay, leave it fine. at that. All right, fair enough. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> Carrie I just, Grant over here, right? I just wanted to insult the, I mean, I wanted to insert a little adult uh, commentary there. I said you didn't look like him, but then again, I complimented you earlier. I said you look like a college guy I'd have a beer with, so. Yeah, well, that's it, but so is John Belushi, so. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so how many times have you been out to Las Vegas performing over the years? Have you caught, uh, got a count, roughly? This is my first appearance ever uh, in Las Vegas was in April of 2024. So it is 20 years this year. Uh, I'm sorry, April, 2000, April 2003. Uh, 2000, April 2004. I'm sorry. Yes. April 2004. Yes. 20 years this year. Um, yeah. Uh, and I've been doing it anywhere from two to three times a year since then. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's got to be 50 or 60 trips. And uh, I love it. I'll never forget the first time was I, I was an MC. I got asked to host at the Tropicana, the old comedy room at the Trop there. And it was, was a comedy Bob, stop. Was it yep. Bob? Yeah, Bob Kephart. Bob Kephart, comedy stop at the Trop. And I, I think I lost money. They paid me so little. I think I lost money on the after the flight because it was a last second booking. I clearly was not. I was, I was a cancellation. I was not a main booking. And 
I bought some expensive flight. I said, doesn't matter. This is an opportunity. And I got out and I was used to making no money anyway from my first job. So that's fine. And I saw my name in lights on that little, it was an old, not right there, there anymore, but the little old screen yeah, the out marquee. there. And right. They had misspelled my last name. And of course. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, but I remember thinking, boy, we talk about moments. I said, well, this is really cool. And Did, did you uh, end up I, recording your act there? I, I sure I don't know if I have that very first show because back then we're talking twenty years ago it wasn't as easy you know to no, just I set know. up a tripod yeah. and yeah you had to bring yeah. in a giant uh, but yeah I certainly have over the years recorded those sets and I credit Vegas those was two shows a night for seven nights you did fourteen shows and then sometimes in the summer we'd go down to Laughlin the next week and do another fourteen shows so you did twenty eight shows in two weeks and nice. I credit. Las Vegas largely with my development and my stage time getting funnier and learning how to work a crowd. It's such a wonderful cross-section, Las Vegas, of of America and different types of crowds. You have people who are obviously from all over, obviously, ages 18 to 80, um, uh, of all sorts of demographic. I mean, you, it, you have to be funny, funny to do well in Vegas. And, and that's, I think, where I really learned to be funny. And having that experience over many nights does help. And as you said, the, the cross demographic here is wonderful. You don't always get that. If you're traveling around and you go to a particular city, you may get a specific type and that's it. Absolutely. But, yeah, that's, you have to be more well, universal. Yeah. That's exactly right. And that's and the beauty of traveling. So you stay, there's a, we have 10 clubs in New York and I work them. I'll be two shows tonight in New York City. But you can develop a lot of, you get a lot of shows in here. But to your point, it's a certain kind of audience, pretty, pretty cosmopolitan, but still specific. So then you have to do the road. You have to go to Chicago. You have to go to Iowa or Texas to get different flavors from the country. And then I always called Las Vegas uh, like my TV set. So if I went to Vegas and a joke worked, that means it was going to work on television. And a lot of what I did on Letterman, I was on Letterman four times. And a lot of those uh, I developed and honed in Las Vegas because I knew that was a representation of the country. Yeah, that's a great insight. I hate to create domestic turmoil, but did you ever or have you ever invited your wife to your visits to Las Vegas? Yes, and she doesn't want to come. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. This is yeah, even pre-baby. She didn't want to come. Did no interest. Had been there once for a bachelorette party. It's not her speed. She is uh, she doesn't understand gambling. She doesn't understand any of that stuff. And um, <laughs> and so the, the funny thing is when I first asked, I was convinced she was gonna say yes the first time. And I was kind of, I didn't really want her to come. I'm so used to my routine in Vegas and sleeping in and getting my coffee and, and writing and doing my, so I said, oh, do you want to come to Vegas? Thinking that she's going to say yes. And now the whole week I'm going to have to figure out where to take her to dinner and all this work. You know, it's going to be like a, a seven day date. And she said, no, I have no interest in going to Vegas. <laughs> so now over time, I, I, I've evolved knowing she doesn't want to come. I practically beg her. I'm like, please come to Vegas. I'm going to miss you. And, and oh, she yeah, still so says no. Scoring yeah. points for the marriage. I get it. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, now, this may may torpedo your strategy, but in the future, you may want to let her know that there's a lot to do in Las Vegas in addition to casinos and entertainment and food that she would probably enjoy. So, absolutely. That's yeah. well. I and some of my favorite weeks in Vegas. I I love going down to a nice video poker bar after a show, have a beer, watch some sports highlights. But some of my favorite weeks I've had in Vegas, I haven't even gotten near a casino. I did one week where. I said, well, let's not, you know, let's let's be healthy. And I went every single day, I went to a different hotel and paid their uh, spa fee for the day, whatever it was, 35, 40 bucks to go to the spa, right. sat, in the, you know, worked out in the gym, sat in the hot tub, ate some grapes, drank a bunch of water, took myself to a nice dinner, seven straight days and went straight to bed after the show. Never went out one night. And I flew home feeling better than I've ever felt. And I, you know, it was one of those things you're going, ha, 
I mean, you Vegas is it's the going to uh, the Grand Canyon. I mean, you can well, do so right. many things. Yeah, I wanted to expand your horizons. I wasn't implying that you should go to the spa as a way of getting out of the bubble of Las Vegas to cheat. <laughs> but then you corrected yourself and you said Grand Canyon, but there's there's Mount Charleston, there's Lee Canyon, there's Red yeah. Rock, uh, there's Boulder City. There's a lot of stuff and museums here, the Mob Museum, the Smithsonian Performing Arts, the Neon Museum. There's a lot of things she could do. If she hears or watches this particular conversation of ours, She's going to go, you know what? I will go out with you next time. And you're going to go, you know that Ira got me into, you know. I was- I, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That. Now that I think well, I, just, I just ruined that for you. Sorry. Okay. No, but it is funny because as when you travel on the road, everyone thinks we work an hour a night. And, you know, the truth right. is we work a lot harder. You have writing to do. You have editing. And these days, you know, podcasts, social media, writing scripts. I mean, there's so much you to do that, you know, I think sometimes she thinks, oh, you just work an hour a night. What's the big deal? Um, but then, yes, if you bring your significant other, it is a full-time job to make sure they're entertained, having fun, and on top of what you're doing. So um, I hope she doesn't watch this episode. <laughs> <laughs> just tell her not to watch that stuff or listen to it. It's fine. Either yeah. way. <laughs> uh, it's on all the platforms. So maybe a friend of hers might mention it to her. I, 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 I hold myself not responsible if she hears it or sees it. Well, that's that's that. I don't know if that's a legal, legally binding disclaimer you just did, but then well played. Because by the way, she will find this. Anything I do, she finds it because inevitably I, I'll say something that a day or two later. So I heard you on that show, and uh, <laughs> what did I say? I might have mentioned an ex-girlfriend. I don't know what I did, but yeah, I'll hear about it. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Okay, now you're all right. You mentioned writing. Is it a discipline? For you, in the sense that as part of your day, you are regularly writing material for your act or or for other, as you said, there's so many other things you have to write for these days. You become your own brand and you have to produce on all these platforms. It gets yeah. crazy. So are you, but do you dedicate a certain amount of time each day to writing material? I, I wish I did. Um, I, I try to write something every day. I don't have a set schedule. I don't have a desk I sit at from a certain hour. But every single day, I try to write something. And as I said, I have a baby now, so it's that's even harder these days. It, you know, we used to have all day to ourselves and just uh, roam around and turn on the TV, and then eventually at four o'clock, say, "All right, write something." Uh, but um, but yeah, my my I had this belief or theory that we all have one good thing within ourselves to to like a one funny thing to write. One, one gem, one, one thing per day. There's just something in you, one thought, one something that's important. And I always feel like if I don't spend the time finding it, I, it's gone forever. And so I always try with not always successful, but to write long enough. So I feel like that was an interesting thought or that was a funny thought. Even if it's not a joke, it, it was something that I didn't know or think about myself or realize I had inside of me. And yeah, I try to at least find that make a long list of them. And then a week like next week in Vegas, exactly. I will sit down in a hotel room by myself and go through notes and try to come, okay, where, where was I going with that? Um, because yeah, otherwise it's, you're your own boss and that's a wonderful thing, but it's also, there's a downside. <laughs> uh, there is. Do you find yourself uh, when you have a, do you have a pad and a pen or paper next to the bed? So you're just about ready to go to sleep. An idea pops in your head, but you know, you better write it down because you won't remember it otherwise in the morning. A hundred percent. And now it's the phone instead. I, it's a draft email in my phone or whatever, but it absolutely, or I wake up in the middle of the night, um, especially when I'm working on jokes that I, I'm trying to finish a, an album or something, I'll wake up in the middle of the night 
because I've dreamt about the joke and I'll have a thought about it and I'll just write down whatever I was thinking. And then in the morning, 90% of the time is garbage, but uh, <laughs> sometimes it was actually an idea. <laughs> well, they say writing is rewriting. So you're never going to write a perfect joke out of the gates. It's unlikely. But, no, exactly. Yeah, do you always, it seems to me you have a, a lot of fun with it all, though. It, when you're on stage, it can be stressful. And especially depending on the audience, you may get an audience that's a little off or one sure. person in the audience is a little strange. But in all the performances I've seen you in, you always seem to have that spark of fun that a lot of comedians sometimes don't have. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I think it's kind of naturally who I am as a person. I mean, we all have you know many sides to us, but... I, I'm affable in general in life. I think that I'm social and, and friendly off stage, and so I think I don't you know, I don't do a character on stage or anything. I just try to bring the best of that up there, and and I think that's probably why people like me. Um, I've tried other faces. I had a friend once tell me, "Oh, it's really funny when you get angry and you get you know you try kind of an angry little." Uh, thing and I tried that once on stage and that didn't work. <laughs> like a little Lewis Black or something and right. that didn't fly that didn't go so <laughs> you got to be true to yourself which is what you are yeah thank you that's I think so yeah. it's it's too exhausting to try to be anyone else <laughs> yeah exactly. especially with a kid and a wife who don't want to exactly. come to Las Vegas and or sleeping on a couch <laughs> yeah well that's a great way to leave it my guest is Michael Somerville he's performing in Brad Garrett's comedy club at the MGM February fifth through the eighth and the tenth. And for ticket information, go to bradgarrettcomedy.com. For everything about Mike Somerville, and I should spell your name out, for those of you who may get a little confused, it's S-O-M-E-R-V-I-L-L-E. So Michael Somerville, and you can go to his website, michaelsomerville.com, and you can follow him on Facebook, X, Instagram, and YouTube. And Michael, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, here we go, Vegas. Looking forward to a great week. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.